0: Greetings and welcome to Pragmatic Live, Pragmatic Institute's webinar and podcast series where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. I'm Eddie Gordon, courseware designer at Pragmatic Institute and today's host. Before we get started, of course, a few housekeeping items. First, a recording of this webinar and a copy of all the slides will be available after today's event. You'll be able to access them at pragmaticinstitute.com slash live starting tomorrow. And we'll send out an email with a link to the recording as well. Secondly, questions. We would love questions. If this is your first webinar or you just forgot since last time, look at the bottom of the screen for a series of round icons. If you click on the one with the three dots, you can select Q&A to ask any and all questions as we go through the presentation. Uh, We'll get through as many as we can by the end of today's event. Now, I know many of you are already pretty familiar with Pragmatic Institute, but for those of you who are new, welcome to the family. At Pragmatic Institute, we specialize in training companies and product teams on how to be truly market-driven. We provide the techniques and tools you need to really listen to your market, gather market facts, and use those facts to shape strategies and drive execution. And we've been doing it quite successfully for 25 years. Each month on our webinar, we dive deep into the topics that matter most to you, bringing insights, best practices, and stories from experts in the field. And this month, of course, is no different. Today we'll be discussing using the tenets of improvisation to improve your team collaboration a uh, topic that i have a special affinity for and to help us do that today the founder of hill training elizabeth hodis welcome elizabeth so glad to have you today you're going to make us all smarter aren't you <laughs> Fingers crossed, hopefully.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Eddie, for the introduction. I'm very excited to be here uh, chatting uh, uh, about a subject that's very near and dear to my heart, uh, using the tenets of improv for collaboration. Uh, A little bit of background about Hill Training. Um, what we do is we develop the key interpersonal and communication skills um, within teams and organizations to make sure that you're having the impact that you want to have in your business and in your industry, as well as in your relationships and your, in your life. Uh, so, and we do this through the tenants of improv and I know everyone's was like, wait, improvisational theater. Um, yes, you you heard that right. It is improvisational theater. And we use this because it's a very experiential approach that allows you to feel the way um, all of these soft skills are and develop those targeted muscles. So that's a little spiel about heel training, um, kind of our background and what what we do. And with that, uh, let's get started. I always love this image. I always like to start with this because uh, using soft skills is actually a workout for your brain. And it's a muscle, like any other muscle we have in our body when we go to workout, etc. Um, these are muscles that we have and we have to work on a daily basis in order for them to be there at the moment we need them the most, at the high impact um, interactions that we have. Uh, one thing I want to do is because I'm nothing is not practical about how to do skill development because we're all crazy busy and we have so many poles of our attention in every different way. Um, throughout this uh, presentation, I actually want to have us develop a skill. Uh, so throughout this presentation, we're going to work on our focus muscles. Uh, it's extremely difficult, especially nowadays when we have uh, our Slack notifications coming in, G-chats coming in, emails, people walking by, dogs barking, all of those things that pull at our attention. So um, focus is a really key muscle and we have to work it to make sure it works uh, properly when we need it. So for while we're doing this presentation, I encourage you to uh, take out a sheet of paper or Google Doc, whatever you have. And anytime you feel like you're starting to lose focus, go ahead and just put a little uh, mark down on the paper or make a little dash in your document, and acknowledge the thought and then bring your attention back to the presentation. And at the end, you'll see, you'll be able to see a numerical value for how often your focus started to drift. And uh, then over time, as you start to do this more and more, uh, if you want to do it at other calls and meetings, where appropriate, I'd like to add, uh, you'll start to see, has this changed? Has this shifted? Am I getting better? Am I getting worse? Which happens. I've been there. Uh, and what we can do to start retraining our brains to refocus. So while we're doing this presentation, I really encourage you to uh, practice that skill development because focus, again, is one of those key soft skills that we're going to need. Awesome. So what are we actually going to be talking through today? So. Why are we focusing on interpersonal skills and specifically collaboration? Uh, And then why are we talking about improv? What does improv have to do with my everyday team experience and experience in my company? And then we're going to go into some of the fundamental concepts that we use to make sure that we're setting you up for success. Uh, That's setting the tone, yes and, delayed judgment. Then we'll go into some Q&A, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up. Okay. So why do we want to focus on these soft skills and specifically collaboration? Well, first, want to actually start with what is a soft skill. Most of us know these and they're intuitive, but really soft skills are just the human skills, the human skills in our organization. If we think about that in terms of our communication, both verbal and nonverbal, motivation, adaptability, problem solving, creativity, work ethic, time management, adaptability, all of these are examples of soft skills, and these, are, these have huge impact on our relationships. In fact, uh, and some of you may be like, yeah, this, this makes sense. But when I first started um, learning more about this, uh, there was a study that was out of the Stanford Research Group that found 75% of your job success actually is based on soft skill mastery and only 25% on the technical skills. And I want to pause there because that's amazing. Our technical skills are so important. and We, put, we train and we focus so hard on these. And yet 75% of what makes us successful in our career and really helps us with our overall happiness comes from these soft skills and building these skills, which as we talked about in the earlier slide that I said it's muscle, it's something we do every day, have to practice every day, building these skills may lead to a 49% increase in productivity. I don't know, 49% increase in productivity in general. That's amazing to me. I love that. If, I could, if someone said, hey, you can be 49% more productive, I'm like, sign me up, I'm in. And then uh, developing these skills can be the difference between an average and a high performance. And now, actually, IBM did a study that found that 60% of CEOs say that creativity another soft skill, is the most important leadership quality. So why are all this, why is all this happening? Why is this the business landscape? Well, if you think about it, think about your own industry and your own company. And when you you have, uh, you know, new entrants into your market, uh, technology disruptors that kind of change the status quo, all of these things that are happening and changing the business landscape, and they're not, they're not going back. A lot of these skills and to be successful in this new business landscape actually comes from these soft skills mastery. So our adaptability, our flexibility, our communication, it all becomes more and more critical in the business landscape that we now face. So why is it that we we know that these are so important and we know that you know 75% of our job success is based on our soft skill mastery? So why is it that We spent so little time talking about it. And, well, there's a couple of reasons that we spent so little time talking about it. Well, one, it's extremely difficult to train soft skills. How can you train motivation? Um, How can you train adaptability in an active way? And this is something that companies have found is extremely difficult for them to process and try to make accessible to everyone in their team. And if you get a chance to train them, or you know, people are like, hey, we're going to work, we're going to talk about creativity, whatever that may be, just because you have an understanding of that soft skill, it does not necessarily mean that you're going to have a behavioral change. And I'll stop for a second and say that again because. This is a huge thing. Um, all of us know like, oh yeah, I have, you know, I want to make sure I'm flexible, I'm open. Um, that helps when we're talking, you know, to different people that are embedded in our process. When we're working across, uh, you know, across the aisles or across rows or, and, you know, working out of our silos with different teams. We know we want to have a strong work ethic. All of these things that are um, wonderful and we know this. And this is not new thing, a new concept. But why don't we do it? And just because we know, it doesn't mean we're going to behave differently. Uh, what, uh, there was a study out of Deloitte. Actually, Deloitte did a study. And they said, we have to move beyond how uh, these skills look and to how they feel. And that really sat with me. And I think that's one of the reasons that it, it, we need something that has that experiential approach, because we need to know how these skills feel differently from our own status quo. And we're also, this is another hard thing, is that um, as humans, we are a creature of habit and we look for comfort and developing skills and developing these different ways to communicate. It pushes us out of our comfort zone a little bit. And so we we get met with resistance when we're trying to train these new skills. And that's very natural. It's just in our human nature, so the way we're wired. So with all of this stuff that um, makes it extra challenging, uh, companies have now decided that we have to look in a different area for us to develop these skills, because as we saw in the previous slide, they're so critical. I mean, 75% of job success and a high increase in productivity and just overall happiness and engagement, it's very difficult for us to to do that. So companies, organizations, and schools have looked outside of um, their normal places and found that the theater arts really have a strong way of developing these muscles an experiential and a productive way. If you think about it, um, you know any type of theater, or in this case, specifically improv, it's all about experience and human connection and human interaction. And so that's why companies have started to look at improv. So I'll give you an actually, in fact, uh, 10 of the top 20 business schools now use it as part of their programming, uh, which I think is very, very cool. So I'll give you a little background here. So I started improvising. Uh, 17 years ago and I accidentally started improvising 17 years ago I should say and I wanted to take an acting class so I had talked to a friend and they had recommended I go to this theater and I was like okay I'll sign up I went to the theater I walk into the building and I look around and I just see all of these pictures of really famous comedians and my heart sinks (laughs) and my stomach sinks and my heart starts racing, and I'm like, "Oh no, these are very funny people. I'm not funny. This is going to be a total disaster." I took a second and was like, "Okay, well, I paid my money, I signed up, I'm here. I'm just, I'm going to walk in the room." And it took all of my courage <laughs> to be to walk into that room, just knowing that these were going to be the longest three hours of my life. Uh, so I walk into the room and we got started, and I realized I was in an improv class. And I had preconceived notions that this was just about being funny and all these games, you know, you you see whose line it is anyways. And I actually couldn't have been more wrong about that. Uh, What I quickly realized was that improv was just unscripted human interaction. That was it. That's all it is. And with this unscripted human interaction, all we did was a series of games and exercises that allowed us to have the most impactful interactions as possible. And that's all it was. It wasn't about being funny. It wasn't about anything else. It was just about making connection and uh, in a very real, authentic way. And that stuck with me. And over the past 17 years of uh, studying and teaching and performing, uh, I have built so many strong relationships that I'm actually still friends with my uh, very first instructor. And I think that's a testament to the type of work that we do in improv. And the reason that I think it is is we follow these fundamental concepts in improv that allow us to perform together and work together really well. And everyone accepts these concepts as gold. They are locked and loaded. This is the concept and the fundamental skills that we need to, to be able to work together effectively. And in my, while I was improvising and performing and all of that, I was also working in my professional career. And I started to see a, a big difference between the teams that used improvisation and applied the fundamental principles and those that did not. And that's what kind of started me on this journey of being able to bridge that gap so that my professional work and work environment, everyone could benefit from those fundamental principles. So what are some of those fundamental principles? And I want to actually talk about them because these are the principles that as, as people we have all accepted and this is what makes the difference. So one of the first ones, because we want to set ourselves up for success. So how many times have we <laughs> we've been assigned to a new team or uh, we've put together a new team, we've been given a task, uh, and they're like, here you go, you're out, go do this task. And then we're expected to all work together great, interact perfectly, communicate efficiently, be productive, uh, you know, all of that. It's a lot. It's a lot. And actually, by doing that, we're not setting ourselves up for success. Um, And I think that's a lot of the reason why when anyone's being asked to join a committee or, you know, if you remember back to your school days or if you're just out of college, uh, you remember being told, hey, we're going to do a group project and how everyone kind of groaned in the room. And the reason it is is because we don't set the tone for successful teams, and we have to do that. Uh, in improv, when a new team is put together, because you're not always, I think there's, there's this concept that everyone thinks that, you know, improvisers all decide who to perform with, necessarily that's not necessarily true. Uh, so when you're put together in this new team, uh, the first thing that we do is we start to set that tone. We start to get to know each other. We start to practice exercises that help with our listening, that help with our, um, you know, our creativity, to help get us all on the same page. And we want to make sure that we take that time to set that tone for the successful team. And the, what I usually see in a lot of work environment is we'll take the time, we'll put together a team, we may start, uh, let's say it's a brainstorming session, for example. Uh, we may start the meeting and check in with everyone just to make sure everyone's feeling good or any new developments. And then that's usually where it stops. We do the, hey everyone, hi, we, maybe we put away our laptops, whatever. Uh, and then we check in, we talk for a second, and then we just go into our brainstorming. Well, we haven't set ourselves up for the behavior we want to see in the meeting. And that's, that's the gap. So when we say for a brainstorming session, uh, we want to make sure that we suspend judgment. Uh, that way we'll be able to come up with a lot of different ideas and explore a lot of different ideas before applying constraints. So before we go into actually being able to say, okay, now we're going to brainstorm, we want to practice suspending our judgment, which is very difficult. It's very, very difficult because we're all kind of wired that way, or you know, we've had years and, years and years of years of critical thinking immediately and not just letting our brains kind of absorb the situation. So what we do is when we say, okay, we're going to, you know, start our meeting, we've checked in, and then we go right into brainstorming, if we haven't loosened up our muscles, just like in any workout, we're not practicing the behavior we want to see in the meeting. So we want to actually start with a couple of exercises, and they don't have to be huge, they don't have to be big, they don't have to be long, they can be a couple of minutes, that set the tone, so if we want to practice... Um, delaying judgment in a brainstorming session, we practice some exercises that actually help us delay judgment. That way, when we go into our brainstorming session, we're already warmed up, we know the behavior that we want to see, and we've all accepted that. We also want to make sure that we set up the rules for engagement. How are we going to work together? So, and this is another thing that a lot of people um, miss. We want to set up rules for engagement that allow us to have a standard of behavior that's acceptable in our team. And we want to post this everywhere, in our meetings, on our Slack channels, wherever we, wherever we at, wherever we're at. And so some simple rules for engagement of behavior that's expected and then we practice is something like this. These are just some sample ones that you can take a look at, but each team should come up with ones that really resonate with, for them and on the project. Um, I always love to make sure that we set up an environment for success. There's a lot of talk right now about you know accepting and embracing failure, which is very difficult to do if we're still feeling judged. So we want to practice delaying judgment. Maybe that's really important for our team. And then in that same vein, hey, don't judge yourself, because a lot of us actually struggle with that more so than delaying, uh, judging other people. The other one is just being cool, respectful people, you know. We want to make sure we have that and everyone comes to work feeling respected, feeling heard, making sure that they have a safe environment to, to perform in. Um, feedback, you know, focused on helping us grow and not as personal attacks. This is another huge one. And then everyone's voice is important important, coming to meetings prepared, be willing to be flexible and then being curious these are the ones that you can uh, that you can just say hey we're going to start with these these are just our overall rules for engagement that we're going to start to use at the beginning, middle and end of the project. And I would actually say it's even more important to do these uh, to set these rules for engagement at the middle and end of the project as well as practice these muscles at the mm-hmm. middle and end of the project because that's where most of the uh, most of the issues kind of arise in the process do we have new constraints did someone else come onto this team Uh, did someone throw a monkey wrench do we have to change lanes are we falling behind a deadline so in the middle end we really have to this is where the rubber hits the road and we really got to practice our rules for engagement and our muscles to make sure we're coming uh, from a productive open place versus a shutdown um, uh, environment where we feel judged or we have to shift blame so these are some ones. Feel free to screenshot this if you want, and then bring it back to your teams and come up with some of your own as well. So. We've set the tone. So what are some ways we can just warm up? Let's say we're starting um, with a new team, and we want to just get the energy up. We want to get uh, to a place where we just start feeling open and really just find the fun in our work. One of the exercises I love is high five, low five, 80 five, and make up your vibe. So this is one that I will tell you. Everyone immediately starts laughing at the end of it. They're running around, the blood's flowing. It's really a great way, and it's a great opening exercise. It's a great way to just start to be open with people because it's very hard to be kind of shut down when you're giving people high fives. So how you play this exercise? So everyone is on their feet, um, and then you'll start by finding a high five partner. So someone that when Um, the facilitator says high five, you actually go and you high five that one person. Then you'll find, you'll move and you'll find another partner. So you'll find a low five partner. So this is where you give the person a low five. Uh, And then next you'll go to another person and that will become your 1980s five partner. So um, for those of you who may not know what that is, uh, it's at the end of like a TV show or a movie in the 80s where it was that freeze frame where they paused in the air in the middle of their high five. Uh, so that's your 80s five. So what you'll do is you'll give someone a high five, and then you just pause for a minute. And that's like your freeze frame at the end of the show or end of the end of the movie. And then the next one is to make up your five. So you find another partner, and that's your make up a five partner. So go ahead and make up a high five or low five, whatever kind of high five or five you want to do, as long as it doesn't get you in trouble with HR. Uh, so we want to make sure we do that. And then the facilitator will call out, you know, 80s five, high five, make up your five. And as they call out the different um, fives, You'll go to that your partner, so you'll go to your high five partner. You'll go to your make up your five partner. You'll go to your 85. People will be kind of running around the room, so make sure you have some open space to be able to do that. Or you know, if you have chairs, kind of push them to the side. Uh, and this is a really fun way to be able to just get that blood moving, get people opening, um, and more receptive for what's about to happen. It's a great warm-up exercise. The next one is jinx. This is another one I really like. like. If you want to be able to help people get on the same page, and help people start connecting. So jinx is uh, an exercise where you're going to try to say the same word at the same time. So just like when you in real life, when you have two people that say the same word, you say jinx, that's an exercise. So everyone will stand in a circle. If you have a team larger than, let's say, eight, uh, I would actually break it up into a couple of groups just to make sure that everyone can go. Uh, And again, depending on your size of the group. So jinx, uh, your team will stand in a circle. And then you'll be given, your facilitator will give you a suggestion or category. So the category could be something like food or um, countries, et cetera. So, or vacation. That's another good one. I would like to talk about vacation because it makes people happy immediately. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> when we, let's say we get the suggestion of vacation. So the first two people, will, the guinea pigs who are brave souls that decide to go first, will turn towards each other and they'll make eye contact. Now, they're going to try to say the same word at the same time based on the sub, uh, the suggestion vacation. Now, it seems incredibly difficult, and the truth is, it is. So when they, they can't, and also the two people can't um, like mime at each other what they're gonna say, they can't do anything, they can just look at each other, that's it, and then they count to three, so one, two, three, and then on the count of three, they'll say what immediately came to their mind. So If one person said, beach, and another person said, I don't know, Europe, uh, the new suggestion instead of vacation is now beach in Europe. So the next two people in the circle will then take the suggestion of beach in Europe. Uh, And then those two people count to three and then try to say the same word at the same time. Now, they can't reuse any of the previous words that have been said. So they can't reuse Europe and they can't reuse beach. But they can say maybe, uh, Santorini, or whatever you know, someone else said, or uh, anything else that, that someone said. So they can't, they can't come up with their own words that that made them think of. And then you go around in the circle until you finally say the same words at the same time. Uh, if you get it really quickly, quick, quickly, you're better than I am. And that's amazing. Uh, do it again if you need to warm up. Uh, but usually trying to get it once is, is really uh, important. And also the thing you're going to notice at the end of playing Jinx is that everyone was focused on a common goal. And that's really important when we talk about team collaboration is focusing on using our focus muscles. And oh, also a you know, you've lost focus at all. Keep making our little ticks. Um, So when you're talking about that focus muscle, everyone's focusing on trying to solve that problem. Everyone wants to get the same words. They're connecting together. And when you finally do, the entire circle erupts and is excited, and everyone's cheering and clapping. And it wasn't just on individual success. It was on the team success and how they work through that iterative process to get to those same words. And it's such a bonding moment, and it's such a great way for us to practice what we want to see happen in our team. So we want to see um, people bond together and focus on a problem, and when things don't exactly always work out the way we want, be able to be like, okay, that's just what happened, let's tweak it. And this is starting to practice those muscles to be able to do that. Again, when we go back into... Um, our soft skills, are muscles that we practice every day, this is a prime example. If we want the behavior to be celebration and focus on all together working on solving this challenge, we want to practice having that in the exercises. And this is where we start to see the differences in teams and the dynamics in teams start to shift when we start to put exercises like this together. So, again, just make sure we are setting up our team, set up those rules for engagement, decide what behavior is acceptable and what you want as a team to achieve, and then start doing some exercises. These are just two examples, but there are many, many more. And Start using those examples and those exercises to make sure that you're practicing the behavior that you want to see. So, again, when push comes to shove in those really difficult, high-stakes moments, your default behavior is what you've practiced. And we want to make sure we practice this behavior. OK. So our next concept of improv that uh, improver, impro- improvers, improvisers uh, all subscribe to is this concept of yes and. And this is one that's more popular. So a lot of you have actually probably heard about this concept. And I really want to break it down so we all understand exactly what yes and means. So yes and is less of a language technique. So that just means literal words you have to say. And yes and is actually more of a concept. So what does that mean? So I'm going to break down the yes portion of yes and. Yes simply means I have understood and heard what you said. And this truly means active listening. So it's not listening for keywords. It's not listening or waiting uh, for our turn to speak. It's not uh, you know, filtering through our own bias, which is very hard. And I, I know it's very hard to suspend our own bias is truly listening to what the other person is saying. And there's, uh, so that's our active listening. Yes, it's full understanding of what the person is saying to you and not what you want to hear. Not just what you want to hear, I should say. So now, when we talk about active listening, I want to break this down. Because I think a lot of us actually sit more at a conversational level of listening versus an active. Because there's typically, more or less, four buckets of listening. And I'm talking about verbal listening, not nonverbal. Uh, so the first bucket is uh, cosmetic. So cosmetic listening is when you, uh, you maybe have music on in the background or maybe you're in, you're in an elevator and there's some, you know, lovely, lovely elevator music playing. Or if you're listening to a podcast while you're driving, you're listening, but you know, there's something else you're doing. The next bucket in listening or in, uh, in verbal listening is uh, conversational listening. Conversational listening. This is where most of us live. There's no judgment to this. It just is. Uh, And that's okay. Uh, But conversational listening is when um, maybe if a Slack message pops up or we have someone walk by and we just kind of turn our attention to that for a second and then we come back. And conversational listening is where most of us live in most of our lives. What we want to start to see is we want to move that up to the next level, which is active listening. Active listening is being able to fully engage with what's being said for you and work our focus muscles, and so we can push away some of the distractions that are coming, um, becoming available. So we hear what that person is saying and all of what that person, all of what that person is saying. And it's it's extremely difficult because even our mind gets distracted because we can process about three, I think it's like 350 words a minute around there, whereas we can only speak about 180 words a minute. So it's no wonder that we start to get distracted by other things, because our brains can process so much more. So when we start thinking about a focus muscle, this is really where it comes into play to be able to be fully present with someone what they're saying. And that's where I want to get to. And that's where, when we talk about improv for collaboration, it's especially important in that experiential approach So people can feel what it's like to listen at the conversational versus active. And you may even get, when you're practicing some of these exercises, you may even get some pushback in your teams because it it is a change or feels differently and it may feel a little bit uncomfortable, but that's normal when we're working any muscle. So it's practicing that active listening muscle. So that becomes more and more something that we can draw on and go to. And again, we're going to use all of these kind of buckets throughout the day. It's just when you need those muscles the most, when you're in... Um, meeting or when you're talking to maybe another stakeholder on the project or whoever, you really want to have that active listening muscle available to you so you hear what is directly being said and so that person can speak um, and you can really understand. Now, there's one more bucket, and this is deep listening. Deep listening is when you're so absorbed in maybe it's a concert or it's someone speaking, uh, and the whole room melts away, and you you have no physical awareness of yourself. You're just so absorbed in what's happening at that moment. I'm not asking anyone to get to that level because I I know that's very difficult and it happens so rarely, but that is the last that last bucket. The next part of yes and is the and. So a lot of people get to the listening level of, yes, I heard what you said, I understand what you said. Um, We miss the and part. And and is especially important in collaboration because it's exploring the idea um, while suspending our judgment. And is allowing an idea to develop. It's our curiosity muscle. Um, It's allowing someone to speak and us to hear and be able to process all of the different angles of what they're saying. So it's going for understanding and then the exploration of the idea. And that's where a lot of us get pretty tripped up, is in that exploration. So we wanna make sure that we can work on that muscle. So it's asking good questions. It's being able to say, hey, if we talked about it in another context, would I be able to understand that and explore that idea? And that's and, and that's why it's so powerful. So you don't literally have to say the words yes and, but what you do want to and have now responsibility for is when you're in your groups and in your teams is, I've heard what you said, I've explored your idea. Whether or not the answer is yes or no, it doesn't matter. You're allowing people to feel heard. And feeling heard is one of those powerful, powerful things that we don't want to minimize. How many people would feel, feel more fearless and more excited and engaged knowing you'd come to work feeling heard and feeling supported? And that's what we need to create in order to create those cultures of, um, you know, uh, innovation and creativity and really being able to have a fully engaged uh, team and and essentially a fully engaged organization. And that's the bucket. So we want to practice this. I'm all about practical practicing of all of this. So we want to practice yes and. Uh, One of the exercises you can do, and this is a really easy exercise, you can also do it when you're, um, if you're remote with people uh, or if you just, if you, I think it's, there's a couple of apps that allow you to do breakout rooms if you're doing a conference call or whatever. But on vacation is this idea. So this is a listening and building exercise. On vacation, because again, everyone loves to talk about vacation, so do I, it's amazing. Uh, On vacation allows, everyone will break up into pairs. Or if you're in a WebEx, you'll go into a breakout rooms. Uh, so now on vacation, you'll start with player one. So the brave that decides to go first will say, When I go on vacation, I'm going to blank. So I'm going to maybe Toronto, or maybe I'm going to um, a fictional place, Atlantis. It, it doesn't matter. So player one would say, When I'm on vacation, I'm going to Toronto. Um, then player two would then say, When I'm on vacation, I'm going to Toronto and I'm going to stay in a hotel. Player one would then say, when I'm on vacation, I'm going to Toronto, and I'm going to uh, stay in a hotel, and I'm going to eat French fries. And you keep building this up and adding on and repeating the words until probably like a minute or two, and then you'll switch. So then player two will start building their dream vacation, and player one will add in support onto that. It's a really nice way to just start warming up those muscles of listening um, and, bu- and building, building on an idea. And it's really fun to use. And then afterwards, everyone can talk about their vacations they built. And it's awesome to hear. It's always super fun to see where people go. Uh, and this is a really good way to just take that time in the beginning of your meeting to say, hey, you know, there's a lot of things that we're going to be talking about today. We want to build on our ideas. Let's quickly practice that muscle. You can start with something like this. The next one is one-word story. So this is when where everyone will be in a group. Uh, so every and again, if you have larger numbers, break them up into a couple of groups. But if you don't, then one-word story is really good. You can just do it in your groups together. So everyone will stand in a circle. If you're remote, you'll just decide who's going um, after who. So if um, you know if it's Elizabeth and I always go after Eddie, you'll just decide that. So what you'll do is you create a story that's never be, been created, one word at a time. So what you'll do is you'll start with a suggestion. So the suggestion is, I listened to a Webex today. Maybe That's your suggestion. And then the first person, the brave soul, will start and they'll say, I. And then the next person will say the next word, et cetera, et cetera. So they'll go down and everyone will add one word at a time to build that story. This is really great for active listening and for building because you cannot pre-plan what you're going to say. You have to listen to everyone that goes before you, and then everyone's equally contributing. So it teaches the skill of not only being able to share your voice, but then also to understand how to your voice plays in with the larger group to make sure that we have an equal distribution of contribution, which is really key. So we use this one-word story, and in this one-word story, everyone adds one word at a time. Everyone listens and builds, and you feel nervous. People always admit <laughs> that they're like, I felt nervous because I was not know what was coming. I was like, yes, that's OK. It's OK to feel that way. That's practicing our adaptability, our flexibility. How many of us know what some of the problems might creep up in our projects that we're working on? We don't know. And that's OK. We're, we, we can be OK with that. It will work out. You will know what to add. Trust yourself. So it's a really great way to start building that, and especially when you're in an environment that you want to start setting that tone for flexibility, adaptability, listening, building, equal sharing in the group, like empowering people to speak, and also being able to rein people in. Like It's a really great way to be able to do that. And that's another exercise you can take back to your team. Uh, OK, so there's one more bucket that I want to talk about in talk improv that um, all improvisers subscribe to, subscribe to. And it's delayed judgment. Honestly, delayed judgment where, is where most communication and collaboration breaks down. It's when we start to feel judged. So when you feel judged, you know, most people feel hesitant, discouraged, um, called out. Uh, they're less likely to share. They, they don't feel engaged or part of the process. And judgment can have a nasty effect. But you know, we want to practice those muscles, and we want to make sure that we're delaying our judgment of other people as well as ourselves to let ideas live, and to make sure that other people feel heard in the collaborative process. Now, I understand that like this is pretty hard, and you're like, "But Elizabeth, you know, there's some very real constraints, and I can't say yes all the time, and I have to apply a lot of these constraints, and I, it comes across as judgment. It just people can feel shut down." And yes, I absolutely hear that. And there's a way to apply constraints that are in the yes and mindset that allow us to let that idea live and flourish without um, putting the judgment on it, without shutting people down. And I'm going to give an example here. So I I want us to practice this example, or to talk about this example. So let's say um, I'm going to use a feature. So there's a new feature that someone's heard about. And this is just a very, very general example. I'm sure you can uh, think of a lot more specifics for your own um, team and industry. So let's say uh, person one comes into, uh, let's say, their manager's office. And person one says, you know, hey, I've been hearing a lot about this feature that our clients are interested in. I I think it might might be really neat. Uh, The manager then says, no, we don't have the time or money to explore that right now. Maybe that's a very real. and." Maybe your manager, yes, maybe you don't have the time or money, but what happened? Um, person one felt shut down, their idea wasn't explored, and how likely are, are they to go back to their manager when they have another idea or anything like that? It shuts down that process, and it is that process of just no, and we hear that a lot. So The next one is, okay, so uh, person one comes back into the office, same thing. Uh, there's a new feature that they heard that clients are really interested in. Uh, I think it might be a neat thing for us to look into. And the manager says, yes, yeah, uh, I just, we don't have the time or the money right now. What happened? The same result, obviously. You know, this is, it's a very simple example. The same result happened. It shut down the process of collaboration and communication. So now let's come back to it. So the next person, the player, person one comes into the office and they say, hey, I've been hearing a lot about this new feature that our clients are interested in. Uh, I think it'd be really um, fun for us to explore. And now the manager says, Okay, well, uh, talk me through this idea. Tell me more about this feature that you're hearing. What are clients saying? Awesome. So they start to explore that idea. They start to, you know, say, okay, I want to hear and make sure I understand all of the elements that you, you've heard, what you know. And then you're part of that process. You're setting yourself up for success in communication. Well, let's say that in this example, though, we still know we don't have the time or the money to do this feature. We still know that. But then once we're able to explore and let that idea breathe, then we can properly apply constraints. So when we're properly applying constraints, let's say in this situation, we can say, awesome, we've explored, we have a better understanding of what they're talking about with this feature, great, we've really heard what they've said. Now say, okay, now the manager says, awesome, I absolutely hear you, this is, you know, it, it does sound like the clients are interested in this. Uh, here's what's on my table, here's the time constraints that we have, help me think through this. And now we've actually brought the person into that collaborative process as opposed to shutting them out. And you're applying constraints in a way that allows you to embrace the idea without having to say yes. And then the person, let's say person uh, one that came in understands more about, Hey, the time constraints that we have and everything. And then within those constraints, they can start to think more creatively. Um, How is this being addressed? Is this a pipeline opportunity? Is this something we're going to table for right now? You know, what does this actually mean? And they're a part of that process and that's really important. And it's applied constraints in an appropriate way so that people don't feel shut down and we really put just a, a negative feeling in the room that people are going to stop collaborating or sharing ideas and they're not going to try um, to do as many new things with fear that they're going to be judged. And delaying judgment is super important when we start to work in our teams and this is a fundamental principle of acceptance, even if the answer at the end of the day is no, that acceptance. Is really what's important so that people feel heard and feel part of that process. And that's another fundamental principle we have So there's a couple of exercises that I like to do that are just really fun at the end of the day All of this is just super fun to do. There's a reason people spend their nights and weekends doing this One of these exercises that's actually my favorite is called bad advice So everyone's back in a circle or if you're on a conference call, you know, you can it's okay Anyone can kind of chime in whenever they want Bad advice simply means uh, simply everyone's in the group, and you kind of start all to, all saying together, "It's bad advice, bad advice. Give me some bad advice." Uh, and then someone will either jump in the circle or shout out some bad advice. Uh, so bad advice would be, you know, never buckle your seatbelt in a car. And then all, the whole group will be like, "That's some bad advice, bad advice, bad advice. Give me some bad advice." And then another person would jump in with another piece of bad advice. And then everyone would go, that's some bad advice. And the reason I love this exercise is it loosens people's judgment because it's going to be bad advice (laughs) no matter what. And everyone's going to acknowledge that that's bad advice. So they're not judging themselves. They're not hesitating. They're allowing their brains to just work knowing that, hey, even if it's not great, I feel completely supported. And that's what we want. And it's a really fun way, an energetic way to get that, uh, start to loosening, start loosening that that muscle. Uh, the next one is experts. So this is a way to start trying to suspend judgment um, through an idea. So everyone will pair up and again, if you're um, remote working, um, you'll just go into your breakout rooms or you'll have a one-on-one call with the person. So experts is just, player one will talk about a a topic that they know a lot about. So if it was me, there's, um, I know a lot about Elizabethan history, let's say. And so it's player one, I'm going to talk about the subject I know a ton about it can be about work. It could it be about anything. It could be about It doesn't matter. It can be about absolutely anything So within that um, we say okay, i um, player one's going to talk about something they're really interested in or know a lot about All player two is going to do is ask questions That's it. They're just going to ask questions and explore the idea that the, Or they explore the topic that player one is presenting you do this about a couple minutes and then you switch so player two will then talk about a lot of um uh, let talk about something that they know a ton about. Uh, maybe it's, you know, whatever topic they know a ton about. Uh, and then uh, player two will start and player one will just ask questions. That's all they're gonna do. We wanna practice our curiosity muscle and we wanna practice suspending our judgment just by listening and exploring. And this is a great way to do it. Once that round is done, everyone's gonna scramble and get new partners. Now in the second round, player one will start talking about, again, something they know a ton about. And player two will then be allowed to ask questions, add in any comments, uh, you know, anything that they would like to add into the conversation, and then you'll do the reverse. So then player two will talk about what they know a lot about, and player one will, um, you know, be able to ask questions, add comments, whatever. And the reason we want to apply the constraints of just questions first is we're warming up that curiosity muscle, we're warming up that exploration muscle first, And then we're starting to loosen that muscle to make it more realistic in our everyday work situation to just allow that. And because we practice that muscle, and this happens all the time in improv, the muscles we practice naturally show up in our work. It just happens. So you'll naturally be asking more questions. You naturally will start to suspend some of that judgment. And you'll add in comments. You'll ask for clarification, all of that type of thing. And because you practice that as you build on, it has more impact. And it's naturally just in our bodies at that point. And that's with all of these exercises, again, when we start to talk about skill building, I, I love to take this into our everyday work and into ways that maybe it's you know three minutes at the beginning of the meeting or five minutes at the beginning of the meeting, or if you see each other or only talk to each other once a month, you know, taking a little bit of time to set that tone, use your rules for engagement and then practice those muscles that you know you're gonna need in that meeting that day to really have that in your body and set yourselves up for success. And that way, when the rubber hits the road and things start to shift, the behavior, you're all on the same page, and you're all rooting for that same goal. And when you achieve that, everyone gets a chance to celebrate together and you know embrace the parts that they were a part of and celebrate the parts that other people were a part of. And that's a really powerful thing to do. And it's why we want to practice this. And this is why we want to do these improv exercises, so that it's in our body and we can practice. And that sets ourselves up for successful collaboration. So takeaways: set that tone, true listening through the yes and mindset, and then postpone judgment by understanding and exploration. I hope this helps, and I hope that you can take some of these com- uh, concepts back into your teams. Uh, so that is with that. I want to make sure that I can now open it up for
0: questions. Elizabeth, uh, and- this sounds like a fun day at work for sure. <laughs> i would love to be able to participate in some of these so we do we've got lots of questions coming in um let me toss some at you here here's uh the first one how do we okay so there are lots of personality types in the workplace right um is there any evidence that these techniques work for different personality types or work as well for all the personality types or are they mostly useful for theater people <laughs> you know what i mean when i say theater you. people right okay <laughs> I, I do know exactly what you mean.
1: um this is actually something i think it depends on the exercises you're choosing so there's certain exercises that i say yes would be not appropriate for um, everyday use in the workplace, and that would be more appropriate for theater people. Those are just exercises I just don't do because they're just not needed. They're not focused on the skill development. I have found and I have seen that this type of work does actually work for the majority of personality types. Um, and the way you want to do that is because we do have a mix um, and, you know, introverts, extroverts, ambivert, all of that. Um, how do people, you know, want to prepare, things like that. There's so many different personality types. When we set up an exercise, we set them up at varying degrees of difficulty so that when you're thinking about applying this for someone who may be a little bit more hesitant, maybe a little bit more introverted, um, we allow them to work in a way in an exercise. So maybe we want to pair them up together and have start with something like experts and have that conversation just to build that muscle and that comfort so we walk people through. So when we're talking about how it works for different personality types. It absolutely it does. It's not just for theater people, and decidedly actually, um, it shouldn't be for just theater people. Most people who come into improv do not have an acting background. In fact, I would say the majority of people do not. I think it's all about how, what exercises you choose, um, and to make sure that they're a little tailored to to that group and to the personality types in the group. And then if you do have people who tend to be more gregarious and um, excited, how do we bring them into an exercise and put an exercise together that applies some constraints so they have to equally contribute around? And then someone who may be a little bit more hesitant in sharing, how do we ramp ramp it up? So maybe starting with uh, one-on-one interactions and then building up to larger group interactions. So it does depend on the room, who you have, but there are many different exercises that are appropriate for a lot of different people. So I Mm -hmm. would say that. Depends on the group, and then deciding the exercises that work best.
0: And do you do you find as you work with groups, is the norm that people are pretty cautious at the beginning? Are they even Are they even scared? And yeah. and then how quickly do they warm up?
1: Oh, it takes it does it takes about a good twenty minutes to get people warmed up. Um, there, when people, especially when I say or we start a session with making sure everyone's in comfortable clothes, everyone's a little hesitant Uh Um, because they don't know the lay of the land. But this is where setting the rules for engagement is so important and making sure that everyone verbally agrees or agrees that, hey, this is how we're we're not going to judge each other. We're not going to judge ourselves. And then making sure that is true, holding everyone accountable to that. So when we're setting ourselves up for success here, making sure that people really truly know that this is the environment where we are accepting and supporting each other, judgment will not be tolerated. This behavior will not be tolerated. And once we start doing a couple of warm ups, people get more and more into it. And by the end, they love it. They're so happy and they don't want to stop. They're like, Oh, what, what other exercises can do? How can we do more? Um, but yes, there's definitely some hesitation usually because it's new. Um, and I think sometimes uh, you know, if, if they've had a bad experience where they've had any tor- sort of a soft skill development that has pushed them too far outside their comfort zone to begin with, which has more of an adverse effect than not, um, they're hesitant and they're bringing that into the room. Um, and they don't always know what to expect. We try to prepare them as much as possible. But we do start with a progression of exercises to help that. Uh, and it, we really do see that hesitation loosen to the point where people love it. And actually, um, I would say 17 years ago when I started, I was absolutely (laughs) probably one of the more introverted people you would know. And it's opened me up in these exercises and this this work has opened me up in such a different way. And uh, I can personally speak to that effect.
0: Mm -hmm. This was an interesting question then. Are these techniques best used for established existing teams? Or could they be used, for instance, in a job interview meet- meeting maybe like a, you're doing a panel interview for a new candidate um what do you think would that just Ooh. send a person running and screaming from the building or
1: <laughs> no i love it i love it especially if you're doing like a panel uh, a panel interviews like what a great way to start just making the room more comfortable um you know establishing some of the rules for engagement helping people step outside their comfort zone oh absolutely i think that would be fant- that could be really fantastic and fun to do uh, I think you'd have to select your exercises very carefully and set it up right. very well. Uh, but I think you could absolutely accomplish that. I think this improv should be done early, often, every every which way, new groups, older groups, um, and consistently. Uh, in, th- these are muscles, and when we start to uh, say, "Okay, you know, we have this group that's been established." Let's take our work to the next level. Let's you know, get to it and know each other. And you know, how can we loosen some of our um, habits so that we are even better at what we do? We're even more creative. And we're taking our work to that next level. Improv is fantastic for that. Um, it's also great when you're putting a group together. I always say, like, set yourself up for success. Set that tone. Um, Bring these exercises. And then as that group evolves and grows, continually and evolve and grow that rules for engagement and the exercises you're doing based on the needs that you're seeing arising. So I think that you can do it in a lot of different ways um, as long as you're structuring it appropriately for that event.
0: Yeah. We had uh, several questions about active listening. I think this was a new concept for some people. Um, Can you talk a little bit more again about uh, what does it feel like to be doing it? How do you know whether, uh, you know, someone is hearing you? Can you, can you see when someone is active listening to you? What does it feel like, again, when you're active listening to somebody else?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, everyone's going to feel active listening a little bit differently. Uh, so it's uh, kind of hard to say, but in general, if, if I can speak in, in general for this, um, active listening, you start to, <laughs> at first it's going to be hard. I'm not going to lie to anyone here. Uh, at first, it might put you a little bit more in your head. You might be like, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm tired. I, this is. I feel like I'm so focused. Now I'm getting a little bit more drained. But um, when you're actively listening, so there's there's this, we can process about 350 words a minute. We can only speak about 180 words per minute. So when we're we're fighting against our own kind of brain wiring. Uh, so, active listening, we start to being able to control that internal monologue that we have, and we start being able to process like, oh, you know, they've just said this information. Um, now I'm processing that, and I'm going to explore that. I'm going to look for clarification reasons, um, and you'll, your internal monologue will start to loosen. It'll start to slow down a little bit, and you'll get tired faster. I promise you. For the first couple of times. It'll it'll be a muscle like just when you start to work out in the gym and you're, if you're doing squats or whatever and they're harder and then soon squats are good and then you go to one-legged squats or whatever um, that muscle becomes easier. But a telltale sign is when that internal monologue starts to slow and you're able to um, process that information of what they're saying to you. So if if that helps, because uh, again, it's a little different for everyone.
0: And uh, another question related: you, Did you mention that there were four listening styles? I think yeah. someone, someone missed the last one. Could you just list all four of them for us again? Oh,
1: sorry. I probably missed. I'm sorry. I think you're right. I, I think I did uh, forget forget to say the last one. So the four active listening, uh, for the four listening styles, it starts with cosmetic, which is the, the background noise kind of thing. Uh, conversational listening, which is, again, where most of us live. Uh, and some of the exercises I've laid out will help you kind of understand how to move conversation to active and conversational is just like there's something happening i'm aware slack came through a text message came through and it breaks our focus for just a second and then we kind of have to come back or we look for keywords versus full understanding that's conversational active listening is when we're truly absorbed we're trying as hard as we can to suspend our own bias um, we're fully trying to absorb what's being said to us um, we're not judging ourselves or the other person we're fully absorbed in what they're saying the last level of uh, listening is actually deep listening and this is incredibly hard and i don't um, I don't tell people they have to get to this level on the day-to-day basis but deep listening is when when you're so focused on whether it's music and maybe someone's playing music or you're hearing music or someone's speaking and the whole room just fades away and you're just you even have no perception of yourself or your body you're just so absorbed in what's happening that's Deep listening, and that's the the deepest level of listening, really that that is there.
0: Wow, that's awesome. I love um, that. And then yeah, a practical question: How often should we be doing exercises like this? Is this something we would do, at, you know, at the daily stand up or only in a weekly marketing meeting? How how frequently?
1: As often as possible. Um, you know, in improv. We, we don't just warm up once and set rules once, we do this every time, um, pri- we do this all the time prior to getting on stage together or working together. Um, and in teams, as often as you can, uh, to the point where people are like, we know, we're not judging, we get it. Um, <laughs> and if you think about it as a muscle, uh, if we really want to see behavior change and shift, um, it happens gradually over time. And if we can do it daily in our stand-ups, so if we can say, hey, we're gonna start with you know practicing our active listening muscle today, and maybe that's your active listening day, and maybe the next day is like, hey, we're just gonna do a quick two-minute exercise to help us postpone our judgment, or hey, what we're gonna do is a quick um a quick two-minute exercise to help us think more creatively or help us. Um, Ideate a little bit faster and maybe the next day we're going to work on our flexibility, just depending on what project you need or what's going on in the team or what the team needs. Mm-hmm. I do recommend if you can do it on a daily basis, that's the best way to start seeing real real impact and results. Um, if, if, you're, if you're only together once a week and that's all you have, you know, you set yourself up for success and do a quick exercise that you know is going to be the most bang for your buck. So let's say if it's a um, creative problem solving workshop and you really want to work on, you know, uh, flexibility or adaptability or whatever that may be, you know, setting yourself up for success and practicing that specific muscle prior to that meeting.
0: Nice. So uh, to wrap up then, I'm I'm going to admit to you how many of the little distraction marks I made <laughs> yes, yes, yes. during during the the presentation, I had I had nine, so right. for about a, a forty five minute presentation, one hour presentation, is that is that good? Is it bad? Am I good listener? Am I love that 88?
1: We need to know if it's good or bad. It's yeah. just a yeah. of <laughs> it's not good or bad. It just is. It no just right is okay.
0: Here. <laughs> oh, not nice job of not judging there. I appreciate that. Thank oh, you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I just encourage you, Eddie, uh, over time or the next couple of meetings that you have, just tally up and see some differences. And um, oh, just good. notice okay. what you can do to help bring yourself back. Because there's, there's not good or bad and not right or wrong, uh, which is the most frustrating thing anyone can tell you. <laughs> but, yeah. it's true.
0: but there's improving. There's always improving.
1: Absolutely. Yes, exactly.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Uh, our audience, if we didn't get to your questions today, please feel free to reach out to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, where can the people reach you?
1: So you can reach me through HillTraining.com. So it's H-I-L-Training.com. Then I'll have all of my contact information. Feel free to reach out if you have questions um, or just want to chat. I'm always up for that. So uh, please uh, feel free to uh, go to HillTraining.com and I'll be happy to chat with you.
0: Fun. And uh, everyone, don't forget to join us again for next month's webinar. That will be on Thursday, September 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, when our topic will be the evolution of the product manager with special guests Steve Johnson of Pragmatic Institute and Eric Buduk with Pendo. So we're looking forward to another great conversation on that day. Make sure to mark your calendar. And that does it for this edition of Pragmatic Live. Thanks again for joining us and have a great rest of your week.